Hello, I'm Luke Pell, and you've already heard a little bit from me in the first conversation with Claire as part of the podcasts that are accompanying the Choreography of Care Symposium preparations for 2021. In 2018, Claire asked me to put together a piece of writing that reflected on her practice and our ongoing conversation. It charted some of the works and some of the developments of ideas that we have been discussing since we've been working together over the past six years. We thought as part of preparation for the symposium, it might be interesting to make a recording of what was originally published as a piece of online writing. So, here for you now is a piece of writing called Taking the Time to Talk, a turning point in an ongoing conversation. I first met Claire Cunningham in 2007, which is over a decade ago now, and that was as part of a lab that I was steering with Kanduko Dance Company for artists from across the world who were interested in the company's work. There are several very strong images and memories that I carry with me from that gathering of people and their differing contributions and approaches to dance and to choreography. From the outset, with Claire, it was her rigour, her resoluteness, her refusal. Claire has, in my mind, an unswerving critical capacity to look at things down the lens of a crutch shaft, And by this, I mean, I've noticed over time that there is a relationship between Claire's use of and relationship to her crutches, as in how she scans, perceives, navigates and negotiates the world she inhabits and her lived experience of disability and the lens this brings to her thought and performance processes, which are meticulous, linear, specific, uncompromising and compelling Claire is interested in taking things apart precisely, methodically, contemplatively, turning them over and over in her head and hands until she feels she has a proper choreographic and embodied understanding of how and why a thing, be it physical or conceptual, functions the way it does in relationship to her experience of the world around her. For some, this process might seem slow, laboured, introspective. Over the time I've known and worked with Claire, I have come to really appreciate the importance of this lens, this labour, this time, this attending, as being deeply connected to the concepts of crip time and the phenomenology of disability. What I witness in Claire's work is an affording, offering things both her time and their time, resolutely allowing each thing the time it takes, it needs, a different quality of attention, a different kind of care, a different kind of love. When we made the Guide Gods digital collection, which is available on Claire's website, Claire, Jack Sirocco, Julia Watts-Belser and other artists and academics talked eloquently and evocatively about the potential potency in these kinds of moments, alongside the exhausting effort, energy and commitment to self, to practice, to others, that's required to resist and refuse the dominant ableist, patriarchal, 
capitalist hierarchies that are embedded in our physical, social, economic and spiritual environments. Claire and I have been in conversation about different understandings of and approaches to dance, performance and choreography since our first meeting. With every conversation we have had, we always end up returning to what it is to be human. What it is to try to live in a world where that notion is so governed by one ideal. No matter how deep or long, shallow or short, our wading, gliding, trawling through sometimes murky waters, when we talk, we always find ourselves turning slowly back to how and where our practices rub up with what it is to be human, sometimes more than human, and to fear. In 2014, Claire asked me to work with her, informally as an advisor for Guide Gods, the show. As a maker whose work is often participatory and conversational, created for non-theatre spaces, it was a pleasure then to join Claire on her continued journey of facing fears. With each project, Claire talks about how she very consciously chooses to challenge herself somehow, to step into some sort of fear. Whether that be creating work for new contexts, away from the theatre spaces that she started out in, or being physically closer, more intimate and exposed with an audience, or honouring the responsibility and weight of wanting to give voice to others' stories alongside her own. I served then, and still do, as a sounding board, as Claire questions how she would retain the same level of care, attention to detail, integrity, and interest in others, as she does or did when working predominantly with her own own autobiographical material. When we made the Guide Gods digital collection, Claire invited artist Jack Soroka to work with this same set of values, with a shared sensibility, and with where the interview material that was generated as part of the research for Guide Gods, the show itself, met with Jack's own practice. I think the result is an incredibly carefully curated collection of voices, profound perspectives, provocations, meditations, and a humanifesto that accompanied writings from Julia Watts-Belser, Krista Miranda, and myself. For me, that project was a distinct turning point in Claire's work. As a long-time audience member, a peer, part-time advisor, pal, and now dramaturg for Claire, I've been really excited to witness the trajectory of her practice over time, how it has shifted and continues to evolve. Beginning from the excavation of her own autobiography as a self-identifying disabled artist, to where that lived experience, the lens she looks and feels through, and her practice intersects with other human and more than human things, experiences, ideas, practices, processes. Those Guide Gods projects seem to me to be markers in an ongoing conversation. They are a distinct moment where the relational aspect of Claire's practice begins to open out. 
prefaced by research that was undertaken in the Project Pink Mist, beyond her own autobiography, beyond her relationship with her crutches, with the ground, with the imaginal, social, political, with dance and choreography, to meet with, rub up against, include, interrogate, acknowledge, contest and celebrate other stories and perspectives. In the Guide God's digital collection, what we find are examples of what can come from taking the time to talk. They are examples of how practices used in the studio might carry into other spaces, from the tone and approach of the work to the task, tell me something you love, which has been passed from generations of artists across the globe, from San Francisco-based Sarah Shelton Mann to Jess Curtis, to Claire Cunningham, to disabled people who participated in the Guide Gods project, who were engaged in different religious and faith practices, to the performers in Claire's recent ensemble, and those of us that work with her over time. These projects are where Claire starts to sit, stand, dance, alongside and across from points that don't align with her own politics allowing herself and us to be agitated, exasperated, informed, infused, moved by what it is to take the time to talk, to listen to and delve into conflicting perspectives, to share space and interest, to intersect and ask difficult questions, to be called to think again on what is assumed or taken as a given. In the introduction to this podcast series, Claire talked about Dada Fest in Liverpool. We hosted a conversation about guide gods there, and I remember a minister telling us that so much of what we have come to believe about some religion is so far from what was actually written in the scriptures. And that's because of who has been translating and teaching them, how they are taught, and importantly, who gets to do this teaching or not. Scholar and rabbi Julia Watts-Belser, whose conversations close off the digital, um, the Guy God's Digital Projects collection, is an eminent example of how we might understand and appreciate things, understand our own and other worlds so very differently if they are told from another perspective. I think this is why, from the inception of the Guy God's Projects, that Claire and I began to work more and more closely on her projects and her practice and attend the deeper, wider dramaturgies there. Because what interests me most is this thing of where dance meets with other worlds. When I track back through Claire's projects, I notice an opening, an opening out. From Mobile Evolution, me, to Monash to Twelve, to pink mist, to resemblance, to guide gods, to give me a reason to live, to the way you look at me tonight, to be on the breakwater. And with the most recent projects, thank you very much. I notice Claire's, Claire's move, the move from me to you to us. I notice a trajectory out from a place of isolation and exclusion, haunted by models of deficit and shame, 
to shame-shedding, unfitting, moving from the dark, from dreams and nightmares towards radiant refusals, resistance and retaliation, moves towards celebration of all kinds of crutches, of crips and queers, of intersection and interdependence. Community, care, humour, hope, humanity, unwhole worlds of experience. From one plus two to ensembles and assemblages of objects, ideas, artists, experts of experience. Claire's work not only meets now with other people and perspectives, but with other knowledge spheres, cultural and political contexts. symposium that Claire hosted in 2018 with Jess Curtis Gravity as part of the presentation of The Way You Look At Me Tonight at American Realness in New York, I was struck then by an incredible gathering of artists, activists, scholars and folks who came together to talk about themes surfaced in The Way You Look. They drew together lines of thinking and feeling from phenomenology, theology, performance and queer studies, from new materialism, disability rights and dance. And in that room, I listened to the interrogation and exploration of movement practices, performance lineages, acts of sensuality and political resistance, dance vocabularies and approaches to choreography that weren't being squished into a corner by an elephant that's often in the room, some notion that there should be an aspiration to assimilate into normative modes of living, normative modes of working, dancing, into what has gone before. Rather, in that room then, to be with, really be with, what was there, what is here. Questions were pursued and problems pushed upon by strolling and talking, moving, learning, through and by doing, in the action and activity of lived experience. I sat and listened quietly to a room full of folk who had the humility to say things like, this is my experience thus far. How do we talk about this? Who gets to talk about this? Are we able to hear? Are we going to listen? It was a room of folks who said things like, what are we allowed to get close to, intimate with, across from, or alongside, when we use crutches, or if there are no ramps for wheelchair users, no sign language interpreters, no voices that represent or genuinely understand our lived experiences or aesthetics and our perceptual modalities. Who has been leading? Which institutions are getting away under the radar because of fear of critiquing those that are in power? It's exhausting fighting all the time. If the time taken, the time afforded, is only a productivity-focused nine-to-five, their time, 
not another kind of time. Our time. What can we do? Productivity is not our worth. What can we do? What can performance do? Can it be something that is generous enough to be non-oppositional, non-binary, not pitted against one another, or welded to hierarchies of thought, knowledge, experience, language, privilege? Can it be opening? Can it model other ways of being that help us not only to think a thought in our heads, but to really feel a thought and be changed in our hearts? Can it make the space so that we take the time to talk, take the time to turn? I have noticed in Claire Cunningham's projects, it can whatever time that takes.